toddler nursery and children's church to be dismissed at this time. Those of you who will be remaining in the sanctuary, if you would please turn in your copy of God's word to Psalm 53. Psalm 53. So if you were with us last week. And we dealt with the use of the mouth and speech and the tongue and Jesus being the king of our mouths. Thank you for coming back. (laughs) As I mentioned last week, uh, Psalms like Psalm 52. um, They they hit me in a, a very personal way because they deal with a struggle that was long standing and real in my life and occasionally flares itself up. Still from time to time. And God, in his grand sense of humor, when he brought me into pastoral ministries and convicted my soul of doing expository preaching, where you go book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and you don't skip anything. And then by his spirit caused me to fall in love with the Psalms was hilarious in the way that he structured these Psalms together. So that the week right after talking about the mouth and the misuse of speech and that sort of thing would then have us look at the folliness of living your life as if there is no God. Uh, because I've shared with some of you, I, I don't talk about it a lot, but there was a season in my life of severe and exceptional doubt about the existence of God. I know it's a really weird thing to hear from someone who's a preacher in a pulpit on a Sunday morning in a worship service. Um, but I really had a lot of strong wrestling in my own life for quite a long time uh, with a pure agnosticism, just the deep uncertainty about the reality of the spiritual realm. And the scripture touches on this here. In that way, but it touches on an even deeper way. And so I, I, I don't know how it's going to resonate with you today, but um, this back to back is kind of rough for me. So um, here in Psalm 53, beginning in verse one, it says for the choir director, according to the Mahalath, a masculine of David, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. And have committed abominable injustice. There's no one who does good. God has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there is anyone who understands. Who seeks God. Seeks after God. Every one of them has turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There's no one who does good. Not even one. Have the workers of wickedness no knowledge. Who eat up my people as though they ate bread and have not called upon God. There they were in great fear where no fear had been. For God scattered the bones of him who encamped against you. You put them to shame because God had rejected them. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When God restores his captive people, let Jacob rejoice and let Israel be glad. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Father, thank you for the challenge that it brings to our lives and to our hearts. Father, today, may we be deeply convicted. 
not just of the mental notion of potential unbelief, but Father, also for the practical living of lives that demonstrate unbelief. And Father, as was the cry in the New Testament, help our unbelief. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, as we start together, I want to deal with the topic of the fool. That's where this psalm starts. It starts with the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. Now, in the Hebrew Old Testament, there are five unique words for the word that we translate into English as fool. Five different ones. They all have a little bit of nuance to them. Some of them mean someone who's just simple. Someone who just sort of lacks intelligence and understanding. Sometimes that is translated as fool. Sometimes there is this sense of, and, and about three of the words kind of have a similar sense in this way, but it's a sense of someone who pursues after sinful things. But it's not necessarily someone who's pursuing after sinful things with a, just a full and total disregard for God. It's just someone who is allow, allowing the sinful temptations and realities placed before them to win over the things that they know to be right. It's, it's a transgressor and one who foolishly follows after their transgressions. And then you have this word. Probably one of the least used words for fool in the Hebrew Old Testament. It's only used about 18 times. And this word is probably the most potent word for fool in the Hebrew text. This word means, and has many meanings, but, but carries with it the meaning of futile, worthless, godless, good-for-nothing, or even more aggressively, just someone who's an outright unbeliever. And it's not used very often in the Hebrew Old Testament. The Lexham Research Lexicon of the Hebrew Bible gives it this definition. It says, this is someone who's devoid of wisdom, good sense, or sound judgment, especially as it associates with insolent living and ungodliness. In other words... Another way that you could talk about this person is that they just don't pursue their sin. They pursue their sin with a scoffing toward God altogether. I'm going to live whatever life I want to live because I don't actually think that even if there is a God, he'll do anything about it. And this person tends to, in other contexts of the use of this word in the Old Testament, encourage other people to do the same. Just live your life. Do what you want to do. It's actually encapsulated in the modern cultural phenomenon of hashtag YOLO. You only, yeah, all the people like above 40 just went. And all the people under 40 were like, oh, dude. Anyway, and so... Um, to help you who are confused, YOLO stands for you only live once. And it's a cultural phenomenon in our world that's the mindset that people have had for millennia across all cultures. Do whatever you want to do with your life 
Because this is the only life you have. And after you're dead, it won't matter anymore. Which, if I can just go ahead and and just announce it very plainly, is a profoundly godless, atheistic worldview. Because this isn't the only life that you have. And when you're dead, it's not just done. And what you do in this life actually does matter. This fool, if they had Twitter and hashtags and Snapchat, Facebook and Instagram and and social media and trending and going viral during this time. This person who's called a fool here in Psalm 53 would be the guy wearing the yellow shirt. Do whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter. Live life however you want to. Pursue your own happiness. Pursue your own delight. Pursue your own desire. Seek after what's going to make you feel good. Because you know what? You only get to stand on this rock that's spinning around a certain number of times. And then after that, it's over with. So you need to make the most of it. Friends, there's nothing new under the sun. That worldview and that perspective has been around for a very long time. And so what does it say then? About this fool and about his corruption. Because it talks about how this fool is corrupt. Committing abominable acts and injustice. Now, I want to kind of break all of this down and, and kind of start it properly. What makes this person a fool? What makes this person good for nothing and worthless and devoid of wisdom and good sense and all the other ways that we could try to define this word? What what makes this person this way? First, this person has said in his heart. Now, I want to pause. As a side thing, because I think it's important for what I do. I spend a decent amount of my time listening to critics of Christianity express their criticisms. And sometimes, on rare occasions, someone will actually express a semi-valid criticism. And it usually has to do with how Christians live their lives. Not with the historical stuff or the Bible or any of those kinds of things. But just how do Christians tend to manifest themselves in the world when they're trying to reflect Jesus? And are they doing a good job with that? And friends, we just have to own it. Sometimes the answer is no. I mean, all you have to do is say the word the Crusades to like know that there are times in history where Christians don't really express themselves the way that the Bible says they should be expressing themselves in the world. And that's a really valid criticism from people who are looking at Christianity from the outside. So sometimes you have to go, okay, I'll give you that one. But sometimes the criticisms are absurd to the point of almost being obscene. And this is one of them. This right here. I have heard, I don't know how many incredibly intelligent critics of Christianity say, well, these ridiculous, foolish pre-modern, ignorant savages that wrote the Bible. That's usually how they started out. They, as many ad hominem attacks as you can possibly get. And, and then they say, look, they think that people think with their hearts. The fool has said in his heart, 
Those dummies thought that the seed of intelligence was the thing that pumps blood through your body. Why would you ever listen to somebody like that? And, and then they go and buy their wife a Valentine's Day card. Because we all know that the epicenter of love and affection is found in the organ that pumps blood through my body. Because poetry only works for intelligent modern people. And in ancient people used poetry. They were savages who didn't know anything. Friends, let me help you understand. People in the ancient world, when they wrote poetry and sang songs. Remember, this is a song being sung. They used metaphor just like we do. So don't be confused this morning, please. Because apparently this is like a profound argument in the world of anti-Christians. That we're all just a bunch of big dummies who don't understand that the heart can't think. The heart can't think. That's not the point that David's making this morning. In the Hebrew world, the notion of the heart had a similar connotation as the notion of the heart does today when used in poetic language. Just like then, now today, when we talk about loving something with all of our heart. When we talk about somebody who's not really committed to a cause and we say his heart wasn't in it. When we have expressions like that. We're not idiots. Man, that guy just wasn't putting in 100% effort. His heart wasn't in. I mean, the rest of his body was here, but his physical heart was over there on a shelf someplace pumping blood from it. This, that's not what we're talking about. We all know that's not what we're talking about. In the Hebrew mindset, as is similar to today, by the way, we borrowed it from the ancient mindset. The notion of the heart is the epicenter of desire and longing and will. What is it that I want in my life to guide my very existence in this world? And you know what? That's exactly how we use it today. When you buy that Valentine's Day card, it says, I love you with all of my heart. You're saying to the person you're giving that to. My relationship with you is informing a substantial part of my very existence. When we say of someone, well, they didn't really give a great effort. Their heart wasn't in it. They're performing an act, but they don't really care about the outcome because they've just kind of checked out. They don't really have a drive internally anymore to see whatever the thing is that they're doing succeed. They're ready to move on to something else. We all understand that. So we're not going to get confused this morning that David somehow had the notion that the human heart that pumps blood was the center by which he could think through things about the divine and that would talk for him like his mouth would. We're not going to have ridiculous thoughts like that today you say philip you seem to be overdoing that listen doesn't take but a half a second internet search to find about 50 well-spoken well thought of critics of christianity actually make that argument that people in the ancient world were too stupid to know that the human heart was not the center of thinking please this morning if you are on the fence about the truthfulness of christianity Don't let that actually be one of the reasons why you think about not embracing Jesus. Please don't do that. But let's have a little more credibility than that. And so this morning, what do we see? 
we see that he says in his epicenter of longing, the place that drives his whole comprehension of desire and being. He declares, this fool declares in that epicenter, there is no God. In other words, in my inner being, there is a longing for there not to be an objective divine reality. I want all things to be conditioned on a sociocultural norms of human desire and not by a set standard outside of myself. I want to be my own God. That's what this person is saying. That's what the fool is saying in his heart. This is what makes him foolish. Friend, hear me this morning. If you think for a second that you have the final say of the moral foundation, the ethical foundation, the righteous foundation Of your existence. And that there is no one or nothing outside of yourself. That is capable and has the right and privilege. Of dictating to you an everlasting standard of moral judgment. You are sorely mistaken. Everyone in here. Has someone or something that they must answer to. And in the scripture, there's a clear declaration that that someone or something is God himself. So what do we do with this then? Well, God gives us his view of what things are like. For this foolish person who is declaring from his innermost being, I, I, I don't think that there's a God. I don't want there to be a God. I want, there to, I want to be my own final word. And notice what it says here when we get to verse 2. It says that God looks down upon the sons of men. And what does he see? I'm just going to go ahead and warn you, it's kind of depressing. When God looks down on humanity, what does he see? The first thing that he sees is that none of us understands. Now, a better translation of that is that none of us exercises Wisdom. So it's not just a mental knowledge, but it's the application of that knowledge and how we live our lives, which is what wisdom is. Wisdom is knowledge, proper right knowledge in action. That's what wisdom is. And when God looks down at humanity, he sees that there are none of us when left to ourselves who will have the right knowledge that then expresses itself in right action. There are none of us who are wise. All of us lack wisdom. Now, in case you're curious, that means all of us. Because I know some of you are sitting there going, yeah, not me. Go back to verse one, please. 
Because you're declaring something that God has said to be false. Therefore, declaring in your heart that there's not a God who can speak a word into your life. And you are showing yourself to be a fool. There are none who understand. None who seeks after God. None. This is when we're left to ourselves. Well, you know, I'm just... I'm just trying to find something out there. I'm not not really a religious person. I'm a spiritual person. I'm just trying to find the truth and all the expressions of the divine that are in the way. No, you're not. It's not at all what you're doing. When left to ourselves, human beings seek the things that affirm what we already long for. When you go on a quest for the divine... It's remarkable to me that you always find a version of the divine that looks like you. Because I'm just going to tell you straight this morning, friends, as transparent and honest as I can be. The God of the scriptures as expressed in the person of Jesus Christ and as manifest by the abiding presence of the spirit, the triune God that is taught in the Bible. That's not the God I was looking for. And when he finally pulled the curtain back just enough in my life for me to see what he was really like. Do you know what I did in my humanity? I took off the other way because I didn't want a God like that. No one left to themselves in their sin wants a God like the one that is found in the Bible. Because he's holy. And just and righteous and sovereign. He's not a God that you can barter with, that you can negotiate with, that you can trick and pull the wool over his eyes like the ancient Greco-Roman gods. He's not a God that you have to wake up like the Neo-Babylonian gods and the Egyptian gods from long ago. He's not a God who slumbers or a God who sleeps or a God who forgets, but he is the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-righteous, all-holy, all-sovereign God of the universe whose will cannot ever be thwarted. Humans don't want that God. And when we go looking for God, looking for God, that's not ever the God we find. We always find a God that feels a little bit different than that. There's none who understand. None who seeks after God. That's the way of the fool. Every one of them, friends, it gets worse, not better. Every one of them has turned aside. Here's the truth about God. No, thank you. Mm -mm, That's not the God I'm looking for. I need a God that's a little more palatable. I need a God that's a little softer. I need a God that's a little more grandfatherly. I need a, I need a God who has to put his teeth in and we have to wipe the slobber off of his beard. He just kind of pats us on the head and tells us the same story over and over again. And we don't ever really have to worry about. That's the kind of God I want. That's the kind of God I'm looking for. I want a God who's a a chum and a buddy. He's going to affirm me and the stupid things that I'm doing in my life and not ever judge me for any of this stuff. And he's just going to let me self-actualize and find the best version of me and live it. He's going to accept me exactly as I am. That's the kind of God I'm looking for. 
Every one of them has turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There's no one who does good, not even one. Friends, that's stout. <laughs> that is that is aggressive. And as it continues to walk through these these things that make this person foolish and what God sees in this foolish person. Have the workers of wickedness no knowledge. So now it's both knowledge and the action of knowledge, which is wisdom. They eat up my people as though they ate bread and have not called upon God. There they were in great fear where no fear had been. And God scatters the bones of him and camped against you. He's put them to shame. So this is a response of God toward them in this salvific way. But there's, they don't seek God. They turn aside from God. They're corrupt. They, they don't do good. They, they have a lack of knowledge of, of what's, going, what's really going on in the world. And God's judgment is ever present before them. And they don't realize it at all. Now, I want us to come back to Psalm 53 in a moment, but I want everyone to turn over to Romans chapter 3, because this is a repeat of Psalm 14 in part. And the classic use of this text in the New Testament is the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3. So while you're turning to Romans chapter 3, I just want to touch on like the context of this section of Romans. So Paul makes a declaration about the greatness of the incarnation of Jesus and how Jesus has come into the world to display the gospel of God and to bring grace and to bring salvation. And then he begins explaining long about Romans chapter one, verse 18, that the reason why we need the gospel. And he starts talking about the unrighteousness of men and the wrath of God being revealed against the unrighteousness of men. And then he starts talking about both the Jew and the Gentile and their wretchedness and their sinful condition. And how though the Jewish people had all of the advantages, they didn't use those advantages properly. And they twisted the the religion that God had given them into this self-actualizing religion. And how the Gentiles were born into darkness and they pursued all these pagan realities. And and he speaks through the various sections of chapter 1 and chapter 2 about how the, the things that have been made should show us this great divine reality. But the things that have made cannot save us from this. This great deep abiding sin that is in us and that God has actually given a whole host of people over to reprobate minds to commit all kinds of unnatural acts. And of course, we good conservative East Texans always want to jump on the homosexuality bandwagon in that text. And we want to look past the greed and the disobedience to parents and a whole host of other sins that are considered those of a reprobate mind that are listed in that section that all of us, whether we ever struggle with issues of sexuality or not, we are guilty of. And then he moves to chapter three and he starts talking about, is there an advantage for the Jewish people? And he talks about the benefits that they had. And he talks about the judgment of the world and the just condemnation that comes. And then when you get to verse nine, he says, what then are we better than they speaking about the Gentiles? And he says, not at all, for we've already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. And then he begins quoting Psalm 14 slash Psalm 53 and other sections of the Psalms here. And this is what Paul says. He says, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. 
There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good, not even one. And then making the transition to Psalm 5 and Psalm 140, he says, their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. uh, The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of bitterness and cursing. A shift to Psalm chapter 10. Their feet are swift to shed blood. A shift over to Isaiah 59. Destruction and misery are are in their paths and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. A shift back to the Psalms in Psalm 36 and various and sundry other places. Also, you can see a cross reference in the gospel in John chapter 10, also earlier in Romans chapter 2. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And so this text that we're looking about, about the fool who said in his heart that there is no God. And, and this quotation about the character of that individual is used by the Apostle Paul to be the greatest indictment against all of humanity. And the place that they live in their sin and their great need of God and how all of us. Left to ourselves Stand condemned before God And so I want to make a point this morning I started the sermon by talking about The academic struggle The mental struggle I have had in my past life Over the existence of God That is not really what Psalm 53 is about Psalm 53 is about the action of life Remember the great internal deep desire The expression of knowledge by way of wisdom, where the lived out life declares to the world, I don't think there's a God, that's why I act this way. I don't think anyone's going to hold me accountable, that's why I act this way. I think I can do whatever I want to do, that's why I act this way. I don't think there's ever going to be an ultimate judgment, that's why I act this way. I don't think anybody's ever going to call me on the carpet on this, that's why I live like this. I do what I want to do because I don't care. And I don't think there's going to be any long-term consequences. And I just want to have a really great time right now. Because I don't really think that there's going to be any problems for me later on. The reason we don't like to talk about Psalm 53 like that, even though that's exactly what's going on in Psalm 53, is that every person within the sound of my voice in this room and online and later if you listen on the internet has lived something out in their life exactly in that way every time we commit sin either intentionally or unintentionally we are making a declaration with our lives there is no God. And we are the fool of Psalm 53. Which means we are the ones standing condemned under sin in Romans chapter 3. It's everybody. It's all of us. No one gets a pass. And friends, that's terrifying. Because even now, all these years later, after having come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, 
I regularly have to make war with that longing and desire inside of me, that heart inside of me that still has corruption in it, that has not been fully conformed to the image of Jesus yet, that hasn't fully been excised yet, that corrupt aspect of the old man in me that is dying off but is not dead yet, that old dark misery in me that still wants to cry out with everything that it has, there is no God, do what you want. And that's the daily battle With my flesh. Daily. It's the reason why someone like John would cry out, come quickly, Lord Jesus, because I am tired of every day waking up and looking at my face in the mirror and going, what version is going to live life today? Will I yield to the spirit that abides in me? And will Jesus be made much of in the actions that I live out? The knowledge of Christ that I have that manifests itself as wisdom in the world? Or will I let the monster out of the cage today? And will he declare to the whole world, Philip thinks that there is no God. Who's who's the world going to get today? Who's my family going to get today? Who's the church going to get today? Who are my friends going to get today? Come quickly, Lord Jesus, because I hate that that other person keeps showing up. And he shows up way more often than I'd ever like to admit. And so where's the hope? Where's the hope? I want to start here in Romans since you're still there. And then I want us to go back to Psalm 53. If Paul were to have stopped his letter to the Romans at at Romans chapter 3 verse 20, we would all live in despair. Praise be to God. He did not stop writing. Verse 21, but now, I love that, man, that phrase. When the Bible hammers you and you come to the brink of despair and and internal pain and suffering and sorrow over your sin. And then it transitions, but now, oh, praise God. But now, apart from the law, because all the law does is give me a knowledge of sin, how wretched of a sinner I am. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe for there is no distinction. Why? Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everybody was a fool declaring in their hearts that there was no God. But now being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because of the forbearance of God. He passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be both the just and the justifier of he who has faith in Jesus. So where is the boasting? 
It's excluded by what kind of law of works? No, but a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since indeed God, who will justify the circumcised faith and the uncircumcised through faith, is one. Do we then nullify the law through faith? May it never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. And if we were to stay here the rest of the morning and read through the rest of the book of Romans, we would see... Paul unpacked the application of the gospel to our foolish, wretched, God-hating hearts, transforming us into the image bearers that we ought to be, causing us to love him, not because of anything worthy in us, but because of the great worth of Jesus who has died for us. And the humor of the title of the sermon comes clean. Jesus is the one who keeps us from being fools. Because friend, this morning, if you don't have Christ, you are a fool. You say, Philip, the Bible warns if you call somebody a fool, you're in danger of hell. I'll take my chances on this one. I'll take my chances on this one. Because the scripture makes it really clear. That the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And friend, if you are pursuing any divine reality in any other way than through the gateway of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are following a path of destruction that will end in your misery. Jesus is the only one keeps us from being fools. Because he's the only one. That can cause our darkened, broken, hardened hearts to rightly declare, yes, there is indeed a God. So back to Psalm 53 and verse 6. What is it that the psalmist says in summary form of what we've seen the Apostle Paul make a declaration of? Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come Out of Zion. When God restores his captive people. Let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. What was it that David was longing for here at the end of the psalm? What was it that he was hoping would happen at some point He was longing for the salvation of God's covenant people to come out of Zion. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. That the salvation of God's covenant people has come out of Zion. God, in his infinite mercy and wisdom, has sent the Lord Jesus Christ as the God man to make a great exchange for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He took our sins 
in his own body. And then he nailed the certificate of guilt to the cross to make a public spectacle of the powers and principalities and to declare us free, to declare us not guilty, to declare us justified, to declare us redeemed, to declare us forgiven and to declare us to be children of God, co-heirs with him, seated on a throne in heavenly places, crowned with glory, robed with life, guest at the banquet table of our father inheritors of the kingdom, image bearers made right once again. This is what Jesus has done. This is what Jesus has done. And every day, every day, not some days, not an occasional day, not a couple of times a month, every day, Day when I sin, because I still sin every day. The only thing that gets me through those moments of every day is that Jesus Christ has declared in his word through his apostles, even when you are faithless. I will be faithful and I have put you in the father's hand and nothing, nothing can snatch you out of his hand. There is no power of life or death. Principality, power, power above, power below, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, that can separate us from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus, our Lord. As foolish as I might be on a regular basis, God has declared me free. God has declared me not guilty. God has declared me wise and not a fool. God has brought me into his kingdom through the glorious work of Jesus Christ. Friends, Jesus is the one who keeps us from being fools. And I'm sorry. No, I'm not. I'm not sorry for my emotions this morning. Because I was supremely foolish in my life. I should have been left to suffer the consequences of my foolishness. But God, being rich in mercy, loved me with a love unimaginable. And snatched me from the flame of my foolishness. And cleaned me off. Robed me in glory. Crowned me with life. And welcomed me into his home as one of his children. And there was nothing in my life worthy of such an honor. Save all the glory of the grace of Jesus Christ. And friend, let me tell you this morning, if you are pursuing 
every foolish pleasure in this world. You will be content for a short season. It will satisfy an itch for a while. But eventually you will recognize and you will see that you are holding nothing but a carcass of death in your arms. You are hugging a corpse in its grave and that's what you're setting your affections on. In Christ and in Christ alone can you find life and life abundant. To where even when you're a fool, He wipes every tear away from your eyes. And He loves you. And He welcomes you. And He feeds you. And clothes you. And causes you to have healing in the deepest recesses of your broken life. That is what Jesus has done. Jesus keeps us from being fools. And only Jesus. Praise be to God. Let's pray together. Father God. Thank you. Thank you. That the Lord Jesus Christ keeps us. From being fools. Father forgive me. When I declare to the world. That there is no God. By my actions. And my words. And my attitudes. Father thank you. That my failures. Are not great enough to thwart your success of grace in my life. Thank you that there is no power in this world greater than the Lord Jesus Christ and his ability to save and save completely. Father, let your people. Not be fools. Father, let your people not declare with their lives that you do not exist. Father, let your people shine forth the beautiful splendor of the glory of Jesus Christ as a beacon of light to a very dark world. And Father, when we do fail and we will. Convict us of our sin and remind us of your grace. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing a song of response together.